Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them, and... Carrie, she, her. Carrie, thanks so much for coming on to talk with us. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. You were a recommended guest by one of our previous guests. Sarah of Talking <laughs> Fanfic, like, unprompted, said, hey, if you're looking for guests, which we always are, here are a couple of people who I know who would be great. Uh, she's wonderful. Yeah, I did her podcast uh, a few months ago, and it's really... I. Fanfic for me has always been this sort of like under the cover secret thing. And now there's like podcasts about it and people are talking about it in the broad light of day. And I'm like, this is a whole new world we're living in. It's fantastic. I haven't listened to that episode. So what did you two talk about? We talked about, uh, so in her podcast, uh, you come on and talk about your own work. So uh, we mainly covered my Cobra Kai fic in her podcast um but we just talked like in general about you know our history also with fanfic so we covered you know generally a couple other things but it was mostly us discussing my own work as a fanfic author i was only vaguely aware of cobra kai up until like chatting with sarah and then i you know glanced in at the fandom a little bit and i had not realized that the whole i knew it was like a karate kid sequel but i didn't realize that they're like pulling all this content from the various karate kid mm-hmm. sequels and making this like expanding the universe it sounds yeah. great it's fantastic when i first heard about it when it started on youtube many years ago now which seems weird to think about i was like eh, really i don't know about this and then one of my other friends was like, you need to watch this show. So finally I was like, okay, fine. And then I watched it and I was like, this is everything I didn't know I needed in like a Karate Kid sequel. It's just what they've done with that world is so genius and how they've built on and expanded everything. It's so good. It's so good. And I really hope they win the Emmy tonight, but they probably won't because Ted Lasso is also <laughs> really freaking good. So it's yeah. also just amazing to see the original actors come back like, Ralph Macchio is like 60 now and he looks like he's 39 or something, you know, but he was 27 looking like 16. So (laughs) yeah, it's ridiculous, but yeah, they're still so good. And yeah. So at any point in Cobra Kai, does he make some pupil wax a car? Yes. Yes. (laughs) That had to be the first thing that happened, right? Yep. He does. He does everything. He like reopens like Miyagi Do, Mr. Miyagi's house, and they paint the fence and paint the house and do all of that stuff. And it's so good. It's so yeah. good. They do that balancing <laughs> thing in the middle of the lake where you have yeah. two people balancing either side of the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty fun to watch. It's interesting though. I feel like it's a little tonally different because like the heroes and villains are not so clear cut as they are in Karate Kid. But it's adapted it's for and Karate Kid, right? So you don't get that same like satisfaction of the villain SmackDown, but it helps like complicate the characters a little more, make them yes. fleshed yeah. out. So yes, they anyway. operate definitely <laughs> in the shades of gray area of the world. Well, as a bitter old man, I can only stand to talk about new things for so long, and so we'll have to shelve Karate. Uh, yes. I should say, shelve Cobra Kai fan fiction for another like what thirteen years or so. <laughs> Um, but luckily you are also a fan of some older properties and we're here today to talk about stargate yes stargate probably 
I will call it my first fandom was Stargate. Could you tell us about that? How did you get into Stargate and then the fandom? Sure. Um, so I saw Stargate the movie in theaters, um, probably with my brothers, because we're all like sci-fi geeks and like loved Star Trek and all of that stuff. And then I saw an ad in the newspaper. This is how old this is and how old I am. There's an ad in the newspaper that coming to Showtime was Stargate SG-1, the series, based on the movie. And I was like, oh, that's great, but we don't have Showtime. Uh, too bad. I guess I'll just never see it and kind of just went on with my life. Um, and then I moved into my first apartment after college and this was right when season seven was starting and in season six, Stargate moved from Showtime to the sci-fi channel and I didn't realize that had happened. And then I, I had the sci-fi channel myself and I was like, oh, hey, that Stargate show, it's still on. I should check it out. And then season seven is the first episode I watched, 701, which opens with Daniel Jackson naked in a field. So I'm <laughs> like, I'm in. I, I got sold on that point. Uh, but that I just, I fell in love and went back and watched everything, bought all the box sets and found the internet and all of the fan sites that existed for it and was like, I never knew all this stuff was out there and fanfic and fan videos and like meta and like all of this stuff just like opened this whole new world for me and I haven't looked back since. So it sounds like, I mean, if I'm getting the timeline of the seasons of Stargate right, that you would have got into it a little bit after the era that we're actually reading today. Yeah, the the fic we're reading was from like a season three episode. Um, right. So, but it is that the episode this fic is based off is sort of one of those very seminal episodes that like everybody in fandom knows and loves and talks about all the time because of what happens in it yeah it's kind of cool i i might need you to describe that <laughs> I, I didn't rewatch it victoria you did right yeah yeah well so i um i grew up with stargate like saw the movie but it was more like seeing episodes of the show every so often and i didn't realize how little i actually remembered like i remembered you know the Goulds and the Stargates and like the basic premise. But in preparation for this, I went and rewatched season up through, well, I tried to make it all the way to season three, episode 18, which is the episode this fanfic follows very directly and references very directly. But basically I made it through like season three, episode six, and then skipped and up to 18 and watched that one, which is fine. Cause you have enough context that a lot of the episodes stand alone. But anyway, uh, I will say that I had a, I've had a lot of fun rewatching SG-1. Like, I don't think, I remember, you know, some of the standout episodes that I would see when I was pretty young, because it came out in 97. I was only like eight years old then. Mm -hmm. But um, it's actually a pretty cohesive, well-done sci-fi show with really fun characters. And it reminds me a lot of Farscape. And I know there's some crossover between the two, so... Mm -hmm. Um, like just the dialogue is so hilarious. So I had a lot of fun. Um, well, I've never seen any Stargate and this is like the least prepared I've ever been. <laughs> I, I saw both the movie and read the book Contact, which is the closest that I am coming to Stargate, which is okay. not even the same franchise. Anything you do need to know, let me know. I was obsessed with the show. I've watched all of the episodes like I don't even know how many times I've lost count. I go to the conventions. I've met like a whole bunch of the actors. Yeah, anything you need to know to catch up, let me know. I got your back. <laughs> well, I just want to apologize in advance. I'm going to be leaning on you two a lot. Okay. Um, Stargate definitely had a reputation, though, of like 
oh, it's kind of like Star Trek, except that it's actually long-form storytelling, and Star Trek never really was. Um, Stargate, like, had apparently story arcs that took seasons to, like, build and, and resolve and that kind of thing. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, you know, those individual one-off sort of week-to-week things, but generally within a season, there's sort of a sort of a season-long arc, and then there's, you know, the individual episodes of the stuff that happens in between the major points of whatever that season-long arc is. <laughs> so, yeah, and Richard Dean Anderson as Jack O'Neill is just the best. <laughs> he is. I didn't remember what a, like, brilliant uh, delivery he has. So, so quippy and sarcastic, but funny and not annoying and just, yeah, mm-hmm. he's so good. Yeah. Well, I got a little worried. I, I mean, we should get into the fanfic soon. I, I was going to say I got a little bit worried when I started the fanfic whether I'd be able to follow any of this, but once it started kicking off, I was fine. It, it just kind of took a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it spends a little time with the characters' heads at the very beginning. Yeah, especially because of yeah everything that happened in... Uh, so the episode is Shades of Grey from season three, and especially the stuff between like Jack and Daniel is like... It's uh, it's so good, but like heartbreaking. But you get by the end of the episode, you know why things happen. But it's still it's it's a real sort of turning point in like their relationship. And I mean, his relationship with Sam and Tilk too. But really, with Jack and Daniel was a very significant sort of pivot in their relationship that happened in this episode that plays out, I think, very nicely in this fic. Yeah, and this fic is very specifically focused on the relationship between Jack and Daniel. And it's really funny. I love that they drew from this episode because the way the episode ends... So this references a lot of things. It, it references uh, yeah, Shades of Grey, in which Jack like pretends to leave the team and he steals. He pretends to be stealing from another alien culture, like going against all his morals, and basically tells the team, like, you were never really my friends and you never really knew me. And he's specifically harsh to Daniel because Daniel's the one who shows up to his house to check on him. But at the end of the episode, he, it's like Jack says, you know, he starts to apologize to Daniel. And he's like, look, I'm sorry. And all that stuff you said about our friendship, like, and the fact that you were the one to check up on me, it really means something. And Daniel's just like, well, uh, we drew straws. (laughs) So it ends with just like, okay, and brush it away. This didn't really happen. It doesn't matter. Uh, However, this fanfic has Daniel still being really upset about it. And that's how it starts, basically. I guess that's a really good lead-in. I should probably say what fanfic we're actually reading. Oh, right. (laughs) Yes, that'd be good. (laughs) Um, Carrie and I had a back and forth trying to decide because um, Stargate seemed to be a, you know, kind of booming fandom, and I had a lot of resources to draw on. And what I ended up choosing was uh, from the Stargate... The Stargate Fan Awards. Um, I'll provide a link to that. It was sg-awards.com back in the day, and now we have to use the Wayback Machine to access it. And they seem to have been active from 2001 to 2005 or so. I guess maybe there was a Fan Awards 2006 also. And this being, you know, the premise of the show, I just went straight back to 2001 and looked (laughs) at what some of the winners were in that year. And we landed on the winner of Best Story for that year, and the same fanfic also won Best Daniel Story. It's called Ripples. The author is ELG, and ELG seems to have been a reasonably prolific author. Like, you can follow the link uh, to, uh, to bunnyfic.com, and I don't yeah. really know what the deal was with that. It, it hosted 
Buffy, Good Omens, Lord of the Rings, Stargate, The West Wing, and Without a Trace fan yeah. fiction, which made me think at first it was all one author, but it's not all just one author. It's multiple authors. I, I, I was a little bit confused about how this story archive was positioning itself. So back in the day when Stargate fanfic was really active, like AO3 wasn't a thing. So most fanfic was just on people's like personal websites, whether it was GeoCities or if somebody had like a private host and like web rings were really big in Stargate because that's how you were able to find everybody. And I believe Bunnyfic was just a collection of friends who are all authors and they just all archived their fic on this one site, Bunnyfic. And it was just, yeah, whatever those authors wanted to write was just there. It wasn't specifically Stargate. It was really an author-specific archive, not a fandom or subject-specific. Just with multiple authors. Okay, that makes yes. sense. That really, yes. that really clarifies it. Uh, <laughs> you have to use the Wayback Machine to access that also, and I will provide the link. Um, in any case, it's still there. It's like 44,000 words. It's pretty decently long. And if I, if I missed the title, it's called Ripples. And I think we can probably move into the story then, right? Tori, thanks for addressing the episode that it's based off of a little bit. Um, yeah, and it makes very direct reference to this episode, yeah. so. <laughs> and you were talking about how this faux betrayal or, you know, this like um, web of lies from the episode is like the emotional fallout of that is very much explored in this fanfic. And that's why as a non-Stargate person watcher person uh, it was hard for me to get into it first because it spends the first part just like being here is what half is happening in jack's mind here is what's happening in daniel's mind at you know for a decent length mm -hmm. uh, and then just kind of like turning over their relationship with each other before any kind of extra plot kicks in yeah i think she says it really well in so in in that episode when daniel goes to visit jack Jack basically has to get Daniel to believe that they're not friends, that Jack has basically been lying these last three years, that he's just been faking it. And this person who he is now is who he's really always been. And she says it in the fic, she goes, it's not what I said, of course, it's that I knew to say it. So him betraying Daniel in that way actually like proved how good of a friend's that they are because he knew exactly what he needed to say to convince Daniel that they aren't friends. If that makes sense. It's this whole complicated, yeah, like spider's web of thing. But it's like, I need this person to not be my friend. So I'm going to say like the one thing I know will get them to not be my friend anymore. And yeah, it's genius. Hey, Carrie, I, I imagine you're an extremely qualified person to do this. Could you describe what the relationship is like between Jack and Daniel? Just like what their dynamic is in general? Sure. Um, so, I mean, if we go back to the movie, they started out very antagonistic. Like, Jack's the straight-laced military guy. Daniel's, like, the soft sciences, human, people-are-good guy. And just didn't really get along at all. Like, they tolerated each other because they had to, but that was pretty much it. And then they went through this, like, life-changing experience on an alien planet. Like, Daniel actually died. Actually died. Was revived and brought back to life. And something in that changed and Jack seeing the sort of oppression of these people on this planet and that Daniel wanted to help these people. And he could understand that too, from a sort of military perspective, there's this sort of dictatorship, if you will, that is oppressing and enslaving these people. And they managed to come together and find a common ground to free those people who have been enslaved for 
thousands of years. And Daniel ends up staying behind because he falls in love with an alien priestess, princess, possibly, however you want to call Shari. And Jack goes back and tells the people on Earth that Daniel has died. And that's why Daniel didn't come back, because Daniel's dead. He's not. He's alive and well. And then when the Stargate program starts back up again, because there's a direct threat on Earth, he has to go get Daniel. And they just sort of pick that friendship back up like they haven't been separated for a year. Miraculously, somehow. Like, Jack has sort of softened since he came home from that mission. He's actually retired from the military at that point. And... Again, there's sort of this common goal that they have. Um, like Daniel's wife and brother-in-law have been kidnapped. So they have this mission to save these people. And just through these sort of common goals, they manage to find commonality within themselves. That while they may be on the surface very different people, deep down they are friends and they do have things in common. And they can do really good things together. And I forget which character describes this in this in, in their internal monologue, but they describe this friendship as something they've had to actively work at and develop. It's not like they naturally, you know, got along without kind of working at it. So it it's a very, very romantic fanfic. Yes. Uh, not at all sexual, which surprised me, because in similar fanfics, we've definitely gotten there. But like, oh, that, that, that kind that's of out like, there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, but I mean, I'm thinking specifically of like, the Deep Space Nine fanfic we read, where it was also this hurt comfort thing, like mm-hmm. Wavering Alliance, and like one of the characters got tortured, and, you know, when they're reunited, oh, then they get it on, like, a lot. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of expecting that to be how this fanfic ended. But what I was trying to say is that, like, it's also romantic in that sense where it's, like, relationships take work, and it's about mm-hmm. these two people, like, trying to, like, put that work in to, to build their, their bond more strongly. Uh, well, it's not entirely about that, it's uh, because a plot does kick in in fairly short order. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like this plot. This is one of those plots where I could, like, this could very easily be an episode of the show. Like, she got their voices right. I think she got the action right. Uh, everything in this is really spot on for what a Stargate story should be, in my opinion, at least. All right. So can you describe how the plot uh, kicks off? Because... The two, Jack and Daniel, kind of, you know, they're thinking about the relationship, they exchange a few words, but things are still tense, but they really don't make any progress on, like, resolving or addressing the previous episode before things start to happen. Yeah, so it sort of starts off with a tag at the end of Shades of Grey, where once, basically, the episode ends, Daniel that, or Jack then invites Daniel back to his house, as they usually do, sort of, post-mission to just sort of hang out and chill and do whatever, Daniel actually brushes him off this time and decides to go home by himself, at which point uh, he is then kidnapped by some rogue military people from the NID. And uh, Jack then decides he's going to go to Daniel since last time Daniel came to him. So Jack's going to go to Daniel this time, goes over to his house, sees the door is like ajar and everything's a mess and, you know, calls in Hammond and everybody and gets the ball rolling to try and figure out. What happened to Daniel, and where is he? Now, Jack seems real sure it's the NID as soon as this happens. Was that just a, a like, how justified was that in the context of Stargate? Like, is it always the NID? Like, rogue offshoot or whatever? Well, I was going to say, at this point, we really don't have a lot of 
human villains. And it's, we're following, you know, right off the episode where the, the whole NID rogue offshoot was identified, um, right on the heels of that. Like, uh, but Mayborn was arrested and Makepeace who, Colonel Makepeace, who was like the infiltrator of the, of SG-1 trying to steal alien artifacts or of the SGC, sorry. SG-1's just their team. But anyway, they've all just been arrested. We hardly ever see anything happen in the real world. It's I really, like, you know, in on outside of the base on Earth, we don't see that super often. In fact, we've this is the the episode we're talking about is the second time so far we've seen Jack's house. The first time was they thought when they thought Daniel was dead and they held awake there. And that was in season yeah. one, I think. Yeah, so fire anyway, my point season. is yeah. My point is, this, I think it's the second time. Anyway, my point is, is that, yeah, there's not a lot of context for what could be happening. And I guess following on what had just happened with the rogue offshoot of the NID, it sort of makes sense. But I don't know if I would jump to that conclusion. I don't know that I wouldn't jump to that conclusion. Right, given that yeah. Jack has basically uncovered this rogue division within the NID and had their leadership arrested. There, somebody's going to want to get back at Jack, so they're going to do that by going after Daniel. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad justification either. Yeah. I just the only thing that I keep thinking is like they seem so sure, and they do end up being right. And I was just sort of like, okay, well, I guess that it. I mean, you're right. It it does make sense. I was just like, they don't really seem to think about any other possibility. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, like you said, at this time, there really isn't. I don't think mm-hmm. any other possibility right yeah the nid is the only sort of earth-based bad guys we have at this time so yeah yeah it especially makes sense because the author really wanted to focus directly on the events of um season three episode 18 i forgot the name of the episode shades of gray (laughs) shades of gray yes they were very focused on keeping things in line with what had happened to that episode so that makes a lot of sense so then the characters are sent to their own trajectories right where Jack is trying to get kind of any sort of leads and also official backup on pursuing Daniel, and he's the one who thinks that this is the most urgent thing, and like nothing else in bureaucracy considers this as urgent as he does. And like he's pretty sure Daniel's being tortured. I like at one point, I, I forget who else they're talking to, but Carter says something about like, oh well, you know, we don't we don't have any evidence that like he's being harmed. And Jack's about to like <laughs> chew her out for like being yeah. you know being naive or something is like oh wait she's trying to like spare my feelings she's trying to calm me down yeah i like saying mm-hmm. this yeah but also if anybody's gonna get tortured in sg1 it's gonna be daniel because mm-hmm. he's, he's the wooby of the group he's the guy who gets hurt so jack can come in and be the hero and yep. you know rescue everybody so it's like yeah sorry daniel's being tortured <laughs> that's what happens I thought it was funny because Jack even says he's like O'Neill. He's like I prided I pride myself on the fact that none of my team's ever been tortured. And I was like a lot of the things that have happened to Daniel could be considered torture. Like I'm sorry, yeah. but yeah, yeah, they I don't like at in that. the same way. Yeah, <laughs> it's maybe not what Jack went through as like a POW in Iraq right. kind of torture, but it's still torture. Well, but it's not. Yeah, it's not out of character for Jack to think like that either, you know, yeah. he's, yeah. Uh, he definitely has his own perspective on what, like, I, the military, what the harshness of the world is, right? 
I can't remember the con like the details, but at one point when Jack has that kind of train of thought, isn't he like, well, at one point Daniel was hooked up to this alien mm-hmm. like, mind controlling device, which is not a good time, but he volunteered for that. So that yeah. doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. it's so in character for Jack to just sort of be like uh, alien technology. Uh, I don't want to think too hard about that. Like, uh, I don't really understand it. No, yeah, whatever. It's not the same thing as real world torture or whatever. So do we, do we want to stick with Jack for a little bit longer or jump over to Daniel? Oh, yeah. You know what's interesting about this story, just really quick? Whenever Jack's talking, it's in first person. But whenever we're with Daniel, it's in third person omniscient. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I found that really interesting, too, that... Because usually if you're switching between POVs, they'll either both be in first or both be in third. And it's interesting because it sort of lent a bit of a distance for what mm-hmm. was happening to Daniel. And I wonder if she did that on purpose. So, like, the torture and the horrible stuff was it happened to him, not to me kind of a thing. Oh. Yeah, that's a good point. But it also sort of makes me, I guess, feel a little more of what Jack is feeling. And a lot of that's important because... The whole time, it's just Jack searching for Daniel and being worried about him. And I feel like, especially since in the show, we don't get a lot of his feelings a lot of the time. He doesn't doesn't talk about his feelings. And that's clear in the fanfic as well. It's nice to be in his head and kind of see how much he does care. Yeah, absolutely. And to continue on with the Jack plot thread a little bit, he ends up going to make peace. And I think the... I felt like make peace is role in the story was maybe a little bit stretched like the author had to find a way to make him useful but i thought the i i think the dynamic between the two of them was really really interesting and that was a part of the story i definitely enjoyed reading yeah that stems from because so in the episode when jack um he like basically retires he's forced into retirement based on his actions you know the fake betrayal stuff that he has going on make peace comes in and takes his role as the leader of SG-1, and is then revealed that he is the traitor that's in the SGC that's helping the NID do all this covert stealing thing that is not good for anybody. So on one hand, Makepeace is a, he's a very good soldier, and his intentions are to acquire technology and weapons that can protect the Earth against a ghouled attack, if such a thing should occur, which that's what the SGC is also doing. However, Makepeace is doing it by the stealing and doing bad things angle while we're doing it in the going out and trying to make friends and allies who will give us of their own free will these weapons and technology that these people are just stealing. So Makepeace is sort of one of those bad guys with good intentions characters. And Jack does still have some respect for him just because of the good that he has done, but because of the betrayal, you can't really trust him. And I like that at one point, Jack has the thought that Makepeace could be playing Jack the way Jack played his team earlier, and that this is all part of some huge plot to like break Makepeace out of jail and get him back with the NID. Like That doesn't get just brushed aside. It does get addressed. And even if that's true, he's kind of our only option because he's the only one who has maybe, and it's it's even still a maybe, might have information about where Daniel is and who actually took him. So he kind of has no choice but to 
trust, quote unquote, <laughs> make peace, at least for a little while. So yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic between those two guys, for sure. Yeah, and like make peace has shown up in the show a, a couple, a handful of times. He's not super prominent, but when he shows up, he's usually just like a good soldier. You know, he seems like he's a decent SGC operative guy and like taking over this team, you know, you realize he's the only other highest ranking, you know, Air Force member. And I thought it was interesting because in the episode, I was just surprised it was him. I was like, there were really a lot of clues that led me to that. And it's sort of incidental that he took over SG-1. But mm -hmm. it makes sense that he is because he's got such high rank, he'd be able to pull off a lot of stuff. And I like Jack's perspective in this because it's sort of like the audience perspective. It's like, we really don't know much about this guy, except that he's been a decent person up until now. And now we realize he's a traitor. And Jack, of course, being the skeptic and the military man um, and the tactical person has all the thoughts that I feel like he should have, like everything you just mentioned, going through all the possibilities. And I like that. Yeah. So he ends up, and you know, make pieces like, oh, I don't want anyone tortured. And, you know, I, I'd be if this is if this is the nid's actions like i'm opposed to it and jack like you said has to trust him on that and they and he does get make peace release to come help because i mean just by plot requirements it turns out the place where daniel is being held is in fact the one place that that this guy was taken to accidentally you know during his initiation like a year ago that he was driven to that he might be able to remember the way back to which he does and, I mean, I, I thought the plot linking there was a little bit weak. Um, yeah. It's nothing worse than what has ever happened on any TV show ever, really. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is a long shot, but it's our only hope. So obviously it's going to work. It's got to work. Yes. Yeah. Obviously. It must. So it will. I think that stuff stands out more in, like, a written work. Because I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, wait why did they think this? And then I back up, you know, I go back and I'm like reading above, like, why did they think this? Oh, they really don't have a good reason, but it works out anyway. When you're watching a TV show, just sort of like, bam, 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 you expect, I guess it's kind of the TV trope. Like you expect the pieces to fall into place. The clues that you're given early on, of course they're relevant because the camera focused on that object mm -hmm. or this place. It's relevant, right? And that's sort of what this story does. But I guess we should probably skip back over to Daniel, who we've ignored until now, who Jack is very worried is being physically tortured. And yeah, he's, yeah. he is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do also appreciate that Daniel's kept barefoot throughout this whole thing. It just sort of reinforces that vulnerability of the situation that he's in. Like they go and they take him and they don't even like grab his shoes for him or something. He's like walking across gravel and cold marble floors and it's just sort of another one of those like tactile sensations that if anybody's ever stepped barefoot on a Lego, like you know what he's going mm -hmm. through and just all the, all the imagery that this author's come up with for what's happening to Daniel is so good. So good. But like terrible, but so good. <laughs> it is, yeah. And I think, I'm not sure if they reveal like how he was if they do this scene as a flashback later on or if it's in the moment, but the first thing he does when he gets home right before he's taken is take off his boots and he feels the carpet under his toes and it soothes him. So then you have immediately this juxtaposition of having to walk on the gravel. I just thought that whole image train was just really effective. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, he wants to, like, walk on the grass because the grass is stopping. Mm-hmm. And he just gets shoved to his knees and his face put directly in those little three-inch square signs that says, do not walk on grass. And it's like, oh, okay. Okay, got it. Yeah. Like, you can't yeah. just say. You can't just point to it. They have to shove him to the ground and shove his face into the sign. They can't just yeah. point to it. So these guys just have no empathy at all for anybody. Yeah, Daniel describes them, he's got two captors who are marching him to this place, and he describes them as just these, like, really big, burly, meathead guys, basically. Um, And he also, he says something to that effect, or, like, reflects, he's Miles this internal, he doesn't really talk to these guys, they don't want him to talk. Um, He he really thinks, like, yeah, they do have no empathy, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of here, I can't appeal to their empathy. You know, being, you know, an anthropologist, well, he's an archaeologist, but... He must be some, he studies people. Like, that's a yeah. big part of his job is interacting with other cultures and, like, reading how, you know, alien races are going to react. So he knows right away who these guys are and how they're not going to show him any mercy. And, you know, it starts off, they want to translate something. He's like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And it is, of course, the NID offshoot, like, you know, the plot suggests. And it's a really cool connection, like, that the fanfic makes with him and his relationship with Jack, because through the whole first part where they're kind of going through various like physical tortures, he has talked to Jack apparently at length about Jack's experiences being tortured, apparently in the Iraq war. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he was taken as a POW. Well, in the and, Gulf war. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, the, in the Gulf war. Okay. Yes, of course this was the show was starting in like 2001 ish. Right. The show started in 97. This episode came out in 2000, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, Anyway, so he... He's kind of... Jack is very, very present in his thoughts during this physical torture when, you know, you'd think you'd have other things on his mind because he's comparing his experience with Jack because he's thinking about things that Jack said about this experience and how you're supposed to approach it. And he has a lot of coping strategies in mind. You know, both just like, okay, make sure to buy time, do what you can to not get horribly injured. I mean, like, permanently injured is kind of what he focuses on. But also just, like, I like this, there's this one segment where I don't know what's happening to him, I did not try to focus on it too much. But, like, he's trying to do these mental things to distract him. He's like, count, do the alphabet backwards, no, that's too easy. Like, do this mental math, no, that's too hard. I'm going to translate the things that they're saying to me into this other language, (laughs) just to, like, keep his mind off of the physical pain as much as possible. And I I, I don't know, it, it it was really interesting. Yeah, and it was well characterized, too, I think, for Daniel. Like, and I think it's funny, too, because Jack, you know, I know this is supposed to be hurt comfort, and I think this is a part of it, is, like, Jack thinks about Daniel a lot, and when he thinks of him, he's like, oh, I know he won't crack under pressure, like, I know the sort of guy he is, but he must be suffering, and it's all my fault, and blah, 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 and, like, Daniel, in the meantime, he's been a soldier, he's a civilian, but he's been a soldier. Like, he's been in firefights on the front lines, like, and like we mentioned, he's basically been tortured. So he's actually handling this pretty well, like, all things considered. He's got his wits about him, he's looking for possible exit strategies. It's almost like Jack has rubbed off on him a little bit. Both Jack and therefore the fanfic are very concerned with how long he's been in this situation. It's Mm -hmm. several days. Uh, but then also, Tori, you touched on this cute point of conflict between him and Makepeace, because Makepeace is like, 
look, yeah, he mm-hmm. might be getting tortured. They're going to torture him a little bit. He's a civilian. He's going to crack. So, like, he's not going to, he's not actually going to take that much damage. And Jack is just so offended by this every time Makepeace tries to make this argument. Yeah, because he knows he won't. And he's witnessed it. It's hilarious, too, because Makepeace doesn't know this, but at a certain point, you should probably recognize that the missions they've been on, Jack has seen what Daniel has gone through. Like, Makepeace has read the debriefs, I assume, and knows what Daniel has gone through. So I'm just sort of confused why he makes this argument, but it does serve to just sort of enrage Jack more and more, which I actually think is, like, it is sort of cute. It's a weird thing to be cute, but like you said, Amato, it's it's fairly cute. (laughs) Yeah, because it's totally academic what Makepeace thinks about Daniel. Like, that's not something that anyone Mm -hmm. should be worried about here, really. But, like, it's just so like I said, personally offensive to Jack, suggests that Daniel would ever give in to, you know, this paramilitary organization and help translate their weapon stuff for them or whatever. Yeah, and it reminds him every time, too, that the torture's just gonna start to get worse, right? The more he doesn't crack. Which is sort of what happens. Um, I mean, this is a long fic, and most of it, I think, is the torturing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's almost sort of like it's all torture, 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 and then once they get up to you know what would be Daniel sort of giving in is like when Esh, when Jack and Makepeace get there to rescue him. So Daniel has managed to buy himself enough time. He's you know taken everything that Jack has taught him, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and managed to actually put it to practical use to keep himself alive and in one piece until rescue was able to get there and yeah it's 650 some 60 hours i think at some point they say how long it's been but yeah two and a half three days yeah that's I, a long I time. wanted to say three days but i think it wasn't actually 72 hours so i think you're right it's like 60 something or whatever yeah and the other thing happening on daniel's end is that he does meet the guy in charge around here and that guy's developed enough for you to hate him some yeah um he seems to be some super rich, like, collector of antiquities and rarities. Um, he was very smug, and I don't know. I don't know what to say about him, really, except he's he does his job in the narrative. Yeah. Do you guys ever do the thing when there's OCs in fanfic? Do you ever, like, fancast them in your head? Like, if this person was on the show, who, like, what actor or actress would play them? Do you guys do that? Is that just me? I know about, I know the names of, like, five actors. I've, like, always been totally terrible about <laughs> keeping any of that in my head. So I never do that. Okay. But please, please share your fan casting. Um, I had two possibilities. I had either Bob Odenkirk or Rob Lowe. That's sort of mm. just, like, sort of generic white guy. You know, vaguely yeah. handsome, but not too handsome. Can be mean and kind of stern, but not in an overly, like, rawr, like, animal way. Kind You know, tall, lean, in fairly good physical condition, but not like a hulking kind of thug guy. So yeah, th- those are my two guys who I had in my head kind of as possibilities for our generic yeah. bad guy. Yeah, I don't know if they describe him as having like sort of a square jaw or something, but you know, when you mentioned like Rob Lowe, I was like, yeah, that's the face shape that I would imagine. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, in my mind, I didn't have a clear picture of his face, but I focused a lot because they mentioned his manicured hands, like blunted yeah. fingers with well manicured nails. And I just kept thinking of those hands. And like mm-hmm. in my mind, they were like maybe from like 
I don't know, like Batman Beyond style with the flat fingers that some of the bigger guys have. Like I just saw these like kind of cartoon hands with like triangle <laughs> fingernails. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. And so this jerk doesn't matter too much ultimately, but um, the, the author finds ways to give Daniel all kinds of interesting character moments. I feel like throughout the sequence, not, you know, both, both when I mentioned like during the actual physical torturing, but then eventually he's like, how about you show me the artifact? Because he's like reached the point where he needs to buy time a different way. And they march him through the house and he's passing by all these things and he like gets to call out, oh, those things are mislabeled and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then he's also mm. going through a room full of Egyptian antiquities. And that suddenly calls back all this childhood stuff with Daniel and like, you know, his experience with his parents and having so little left of, like physically to hold on to them and how like... And, you know, these Egyptian antiquities that they used to share with him were kind of a large part of his childhood memory and connection to them. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I love the moment, like, with the scarab, when he sees the scarab and has that, like, that memory with his mother and sort of looking at one of the jars and wondering if Share is descended from the sort of priest gods, goddesses that these Egyptians were sort of modeled after. And, yeah, because that's... Daniel basically kind of grew up in Egypt from what we know in the show. We don't get a lot of his childhood, but we get enough of that, that Egypt was very important to him and his family and like where he grew up. So getting to see all of these things that should not be in this house and should be <laughs> either back in Egypt or museums somewhere and just, and it's so Daniel just to sort of get distracted by the shiny thing and there's like another scene later where Jack's like dragging him out and he's like, but can I just, and Jack's like, no, but what about that? And no. And it's like, that's totally something that just happened in the show where Daniel's just like, but, but that, but, but that, and no, no, Daniel, no, that's good. We have to go. We have to go torture you now, Daniel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's even, yeah, that earlier scene where he's being literally physically dragged and he, by the the big guys and he grabs onto something he just like holds on yeah. to it like they're trying to pull him away he's like i need to see this just for another second basically yeah. but i i also love you know he's got that curiosity he's got this i mentioned that this fanfic i said it's mostly the torture and then i had to question myself and the thing is it's like yeah most of the plot that's happening is that daniel's being taken away and tortured but actually most of the I don't know, the scenes, the the words that we get are a lot about his internal reflections and, you know, m m what do I want to say? That, you know, he mentions the scarab beetle that his parents had. And then he starts thinking about how, you know, his parents were archaeologists too and all this stuff that they had that was given away because they thought, you know, he wouldn't have any use for it as a child when they died. And he just wishes he could have that stuff back. And I think it makes a really strong thread that ends at the very like the end of the story like there's strong symbols that he has especially the scarab you know being that a typical egyptian idea what do the bird's eggs mean he brings mm. it up he's like i bet you collected yeah. bird's eggs when you were a child and then he like sees one later what does that mean does anybody know what that means does is it like a sign of a psychopath who like collects bird's eggs does anybody know I don't know. It was okay. definitely a way for him to get under the captor's skin because he guessed something right. That was the other thing I was going to say. Uh, his main captor's name is Trevelin, I think. Yes. Um, 
and Daniel just finds ways to irritate him. And I think that's, in a way, it's like t ways to get under his skin and give him a little power, like guessing something about him. But I don't know why he guessed that. I don't know why that was true. Yeah, I did try to Google it just to see, but yeah, Google had nothing for me on what collecting bird's eggs means. So <laughs> I just, I thought that was a very interesting thing to grab onto for sure. Yeah, because who does that? Who collects bird's eggs? I've never even heard of that, really. Yeah. No, no, I didn't I know like, that was a thing. Me neither. But apparently it is. Maybe. <laughs> it is in this world. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure that's a thing. That sounds like the kind of little thing that an author knows from their life that then gets put in, you know, in their writing um, that other people might not have. Suddenly I'm thinking about that... Um, early edition fanfic we read where what what, oh, what yeah. type of medicine was it that played such a huge role it was like um bre well lung lung medicine what would you call that pulmonary it's like pulmonary someone's like a pulmonary vascular nurse i don't know if that's a thing but that sounds right yeah anyway it was like but like they paid attention the to all the medical stuff the author, yeah that was the author's field right yeah <laughs> Um, and that's why the whole story was like in a hospital about somebody receiving medical care. <laughs> and that's I mean, why it seemed so, so true, like accurate. And, you know, the verisimilitude was through the roof there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I, I like the exchange also between Daniel and what's his name? Tri Trevelin. 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 Where, yeah. you know, finally, finally Trevelin brings him in front of the artifact. And Daniel's like, okay, so I'm supposed to buy time and not give them what they want. And, like, they show him the inscription, and Daniel's like, oh, this is super easy. I don't know why they had any trouble with this. And then Daniel spins this huge story about how, like, this object is a bomb, and, like, clearly it's with a conflict between two factions of this alien race, and you better get it through a Stargate to an uninhabited planet straight away. And, like, yeah. you know, he's so, he's so proud of himself for, like, doing this, like, buying time tactic and, you know, and, like, coming up with a story so well and sounds really good. And then Trevlin's like... That wasn't the object. That was a test to see if you were actually cooperative. We translated that immediately. Yeah. I I mean, I bought it for a minute. I did too. I did too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in retrospect, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. If if Daniel was like, this is super easy to translate, then he should have should have stayed with that thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did not need him for that. And it's also just kind of a... You know, it emphasized the fact that, you know, it's like he was talking about how he was, he's been playing poker with Jack as Jack has been trying to teach him how to, like, lie and such. And Daniel still does not any good at it. No. <laughs> and it's like, someone who was savvier about the situation might have figured that out, and he's just not. And so he really can't play that game. Yeah, he's trying to do what Jack would do, and he's just not Jack. So, but... Those resources work somewhat in his favor. He buys some time. It's just like, yeah, nice try. I mean, it yeah. was a good try for sure. Yeah. But then just before things do get too dire, like you said, um, like you said, Carrie, the SG-1 team does reach the place. And they're supposed to wait for backup. And Jack does not have them wait for backup. No. They're just going to go no. in. No, Jack's not waiting for backup. I love how he he understands what Sam is saying to him. Like Sam is saying, Hammond says you should you should do this. I'm not saying do this. I'm saying Hammond said. 
So Jack can kind of just ignore it and be like, I, yeah, and there, no way Jack was going to wait for backup. I mean, Hammond had to know Jack was not going to wait for backup. If this is the place where Daniel is, Jack's going in guns blazing, period. Like, he's not waiting for anybody or anything. He's going in and he's getting Daniel back. Now, guns blazing are Jack. It's, is it Talk, Talk, Tilk. 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 Yes. And, mm-hmm. and make peace. Is it just the three of them? Yes. Yeah, wait, where's Carter? She's back at the SGC doing the coordinating between, um, like, there's a helicopter that's circling the area, and there's a couple SG teams that have sort of, right. like, gone in various directions to try and find that house that Makepeace was talking about. Um, so, yeah, so she's back at the SGC doing the coordinating. Jack's driving, Makepeace is trying to figure out where they're going, and Tilk is in the backseat with his Zach gun aimed at Makepeace just in case Makepeace tries to pull something. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's a reasonable place for everyone to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of wish Carter had gone with them. Like, I think if... I understand... She's very practical, though. Mm-hmm. It, but, like, I know, I almost feel like she'd care just as much about Daniel, right? She'd want to go with them. But she follows orders, so... Well, at this part of the story, the three of them go in, and then the place gets cut off by a force field, like alien technology that, you know, produces a force field so their backup can't make it in. It's just them. Mm-hmm. And it's Jack. It's Teal, who I understand is a badass. Yes. And make peace who they cannot trust, and they're literally fighting the people who he was betraying SG, SGC for. Yes. It, it seems a little bit easy. They, they don't actually run into any resistance that they can't overcome. I was kind of surprised by the way that this part of the story continued. Like, this, the, the place is kind of swarming-ish with paramilitary people, and once or twice yeah. they run into a group of them like it's a D&D random encounter. And it's like, you, you encounter, like, roll, roll, 12 of these, you know, enemy agents with weapons, and then they just take them all out, like, more than once. I, was, I wasn't sure what to make of it. Yes, the, the Zat gun is a very powerful weapon, and I have read at times the, the powers that be at Stargate have been upset at themselves for how powerful they made that weapon because <laughs> it's like one one zap you're like unconscious two zaps you're dead three zaps you get disintegrated so okay. it is a very convenient weapon but it's at times too convenient and i wonder if this story is sort of playing into that trope a bit that of course it's SG-1. They're not going to get all shot up and beat to heck before they make their rescue. It's SG-1. They're the heroes. They save the day. And yeah. It's what happens on the show, so it's what happens in the story. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like the show. Um, yeah. But the weirdness of it is because, you know, we've read fan fiction that's supposed to be an episode of a TV show before. And usually it has fewer words. And I think we've gotten a lot of time with Daniel's situation in his head, trying to figure out how to escape. And that's why it feels easy because all that needed to happen and a lot of time with O'Neill trying to find him in O'Neill's head, because it feels easy because we've spent the whole story trying, almost whole story trying to come to this climax. And then it happens relatively quickly, but I would argue that that's definitely similar in tone to the show. I think it works fine. It just feels, it feels different because we spent so long waiting for it, I guess. I guess I can't complain too much because it's kind of the opposite of the A-Team story we read, where I spent the whole last time being like, just go oh my and God. kick ass. 
and like it never actually happened and and like i totally would have thought you know in that story just like four people going up against any number of people and emerging unscathed so i just need to readjust my expectations but i think you're right tori it's just that reaching this point was such an ordeal that then i was kind of expecting it to continue to be an ordeal but in fact the problem is now solved you now have Tilk and jack in there like shooting people and it's fine and they even yeah. find Daniel in, in, like, short order, which also surprised me. <laughs> like, because I was expecting that to be, like, at the end of some final boss for them to secure Daniel immediately. But no, they, they find Daniel, like, almost. Yeah, day. there there was a bit where I had to go back and reread it a couple times. Because, like, they get to the house and they have a discussion, like, make pieces. Like, they're probably keeping him in the basement. And then just, mm-hmm. they're in the basement. And I was like, wait, are they in the basement? When like when when did they yeah. get to the basement? Like they just they sort of teleported in there, and I would have maybe liked a little bit of them getting to the basement. Like what happened after they entered the house, and then actually got to the basement. That felt a little flimsy to me. You were missing a commercial break in between those two. Oh, is that what oh, it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it's it. actually a really good point because watching the episodes on Netflix, like it's kind of funny how many like fade to black and then a new scene starts happens, you know, obviously there was commercial there. Yeah. Uh, just not used to that in TV anymore, you know? Yeah. And it's weird. Cause it was originally like filmed for Showtime, which wouldn't have had commercials. So the fact that there are commercial breaks in there, it's is weird. It starts in season three. It wasn't like that in the first two seasons, which is weird. I don't know. Maybe if some formatting thing, but anyway. <laughs> I mean, maybe they wanted it to be able to be syndicated later. And yeah. Like, I don't know. They uh, started just, syndication. Discussion. They started syndication six months after the first episode aired. Like syndication was part of like getting the show into production. Mm-hmm. So mm. they, they, they've been in syndication since season one. But that was still just on Showtime, huh? Not like on yeah. another channel? Oh. Well, no, it was on Showtime and then syndicated... Was it syndicated to Fox then, or did that come later? Like, so maybe I the Fox like... were complaining about it being hard to find the places to put commercial breaks or something. I, maybe. I'm just spitballing here. Maybe. I totally feel like I watched it when I was a kid, and I don't think we had Showtime as a channel. I mean, we had, like, we had the Sci-Fi channel, but I think I watched it before... It came to the sci-fi channel. I don't know. It's hard to remember. Well, anyway, in the fanfic, they find Daniel, and he's in bad shape, but he's not, he's not unconscious. He's still in his right mind. He's just in a lot of pain. And mm-hmm. he runs on adrenaline fairly well for most of the last part of this, before he, like, really just, his body is done, and he, like, shuts down. Yeah. And, I mean, in summary, they go and they confront the guy whose name I keep forgetting. Trevelin. Trevelin. Um, and he's backed into a corner with his two goons and um, attempts to threaten them with an alien weapon, I guess. Yeah, I think the thing that Daniel said was the bomb, but actually does something, possibly. I, I was a little unclear if the, if the device he was holding was the device Daniel was looking at earlier, if it was a different device that was actually a bomb. That Again, that was a, one of those things that was a little fuzzy for me. Um, but yeah. And I like how in that scene, Jack realizes that he doesn't know they have Daniel. Like this bad guy doesn't know that he's over and done. Like this whole operation is over and done with. They have Daniel, everything's done, but he doesn't know that. 
so Jack can play with that and try and get him to give up like more information. And Trevlin's like, oh yeah, Daniel's somewhere else. I'll take you to him. It's like, yeah, Jack, Daniel's on the other side of the wall there. <laughs> but I just thought that was so interesting that this author went that way with it. And it's just another, just another way for them to get a little dig at him. It's like, we are smarter than you. So, gotcha. Yeah, and also that weapon that they were threatening SG-1 with. Tilk is like, yeah, that doesn't work in this force field. And it's one of the reasons we don't no one uses this force field very much. is because it interferes with all these other kinds of technology. Yeah. <laughs> Which I also thought was cute. But after that part where Jack gets to, you know, play with this guy verbally a little bit, they end up zapping him with the gun. Um, which apparently one zap knocks you unconscious. That's how it works. Yeah. One unconscious, two dead, three disintegrated. Right. And obviously they want him unconscious because he clearly is way high up in this organization and knows all kinds of stuff. And then he gets yeah. zapped again. Yes. And then and I believe <laughs> Makepeace does a third one and actually disintegrates him. Yeah. So make, I think he... Makepeace gets him all the way down to disintegrated. Yeah. So this guy, unfortunately, is gone, gone. And yeah, Jack's and like, I, why? No, that wasn't our, that wasn't the plan, but that was Makepeace's plan. So yeah, I mean, that's what yeah. happens. Makepeace just shrugs when, you know, they confront me. He's like, I, I got my orders too. Yep. It's like, what do you expect to happen here when you brought Makepeace physically into this mission? Yeah. Should have zapped him on the way at, like on the way in, really. I don't see, <laughs> seems like Jack and Tilk would have been fine by themselves. Yeah, probably. But, you know, if they did run into anybody Makepeace had met, they could have maybe used that to an advantage. You know, they didn't yeah, yeah. really know what was waiting for them inside that house. And Makepeace is still maybe useful at this point. So, yeah. Right. Isn't there some speculation Jack does later that this was, like, sort of engineered that Makepeace would come with them because they knew he'd destroy the evidence or something like that? I don't know if that's true, but... I don't think that makes sense, because without Makepeace's help, like, I mean, they could have just done the plan A and, you know, gotten tortured and kidnapped Daniel to translate this thing like they wanted. That that probably would have been the better result, right? I guess, yeah. And also, he speculates about, oh, well, they, you know, if they hadn't had him with them, they could have gotten more of the artifacts out, I think, and that doesn't make sense to me either, but... Nah. Well, yeah, I mean... The force field goes down and the other, you know, the backup comes in and they clear out the place and presumably they secure all the artifacts, though both Jack and Teal'c pocket something on the way out, right? <laughs> yes. Which is pretty <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. I think there is, though, speculation that the stuff that's at that house is not everything. There's speculation right, that there right. is some sort of, like, off-site storage facility that because this guy is now dead, they have no hope of finding yeah, that makes sense, because there were a lot of alien weapons here, which are the, or alien technology, which is what SGC is really concerned about. The historical argument, artifacts are secondary, I'm sure, in terms of military concerns. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the idea yeah. that there was another, that clearly they don't keep all of their alien technology here at this one rich dude's house, that would be odd. Um, but yeah, like I said, both Jack and Teal steal something on the way out from the Egyptology room. Yeah. To give to Daniel, which is very sweet. Yeah, Jack, po Jack pockets the scarab, which is great, and Tilk steals a little game um, that he and Daniel had apparently talked about previously, how Daniel used to like play with his dad, 
And Tilk remembers it to probably possibly playing with his own dad, you know, growing up a little Jaffa on Chulak. <laughs> yeah. Fathers and sons always playing together. It's a universal thing everywhere. And <laughs> just that, you know, Tilk remembered that and Jack remembered the story. It, it really goes to show how maybe these things don't get talked about all the time, but they are still so close of friends and as a family, really, that everybody knows what's important to everybody else. Yeah, and I like this exploration because it it is notable in Stargate, even though people don't really talk about it as much, how often, instead of saying, I want my teammate back, they'll say, give me my friend back. You know, it's like, where are my friends? You know, they are definitely very close friends, and they have a good team dynamic as well. And this was just a story about, I mean, friendship, mostly between Jack and Daniel. And that even gets, we actually do get after this, after they get Daniel out, yeah, we get the gift giving and uh, Carter gives him a box of cookies because that's like a thing in this that he really likes cookies. I don't know. I don't remember that from the show, but it's cute in this. Like Daniel gets to nibble on cookies almost like a little kid. Yeah. Um, which is kind of adorable. I mean, I do think the fanfic sort of like infantilizes him in a way that I don't perceive him in the show, but it does work for the hurt comfort thing that he has with Jack. So. And there's also this whole thing with Jack trying to get him out of the hospital as quickly as possible because oh, yeah, Jack yeah. has this experience of, you know, undergoing torture and thinks that what Daniel needs is comfort, familiarity, and being cared for by loved ones like him rather than being in a military hospital institution and being put through psychological tests by apparently this guy who's just awful he... from a previous episode. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> There was an episode where Daniel actually got infected by uh, like an alien technology, like a biotech thing from a from an alien guy, um, and it was intended to attack a Gould host as a way to sort of kill the Gould symbiote within the person to get rid of the evilness and let the person live. Unfortunately, if you are infected with that biotech and you don't have a Gould in you, you present as having some kind of psychosis, schizophrenia or something like yeah. that. So uh, I, I, I don't like this doctor, so I never remember his name. But um, so he basically had Daniel committed to a mental facility because as far as he was concerned, Daniel was now schizophrenic. He wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> that whole episode drives me up a wall because... I I don't want to go into it too much, but it's basically like he gets a diagnosis, he's schizophrenic, and they blame it on gate travel. They're like, we knew at some point gate travel would affect people, and now he has schizophrenia. And I'm like, first of all, like, uh, what? Why are you? How are you basing that diagnosis? And then they put him in a a literal padded room, and I was just like, he he's never tried to hurt anyone or himself. Why is he in a completely padded room in isolation? Is that how yeah. you treat people who have mental illnesses? Like what? It's supposed to emphasize the horror of the situation, but it does make you really hate the psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It sounds like it emphasizes the horror of like bad mental health care more than mm-hmm. alien technology. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. But Jack does manage to to get the military doctor in charge person to let let Daniel back into his care, basically by promising to actually undergo some sort of uh, psychological evaluation or therapy, which he's always refused to do 
in the past um, in exchange, which seems like kind of a weird way to make decisions for the doctor in charge person, but that's fine, I guess. Jack gets what he what he wants anyway. Was that with um? Oh gosh, I forgot her name, but the main doctor, Doctor Fraser, that yeah. he, Doctor Fraser, is that who he talked to? Because yeah, knowing her character, I think that makes sense. Like she's a good doctor. I I really like her character, but she would really definitely want Jack to undergo these evaluations. He would definitely avoid them. And I think she trusts him well enough to know that, like, Daniel will be well cared for. I, I think it's more just, like, she thinks she can get something out of it that is she thinks would be good for him, so she does. <laughs> yeah, and I think he mentions that Dr. Frazier's always been a little ticked off that there's not a checkbox in that thing on his, like, military file. Right, like, right. Received psychiatric care or whatever it is, sort of post, you know, PTSD therapy of some kind and that that annoys her. So fine. I'll go and check that box for you. Yeah. And it's just serves to emphasize sort of like the humor and um, the the fun relationship that Jack has with a lot of people, which is like vaguely combative, but actually affectionate. And speaking of which, I mean, all of the main plot stuff being resolved, that means the last part of the fanfic can be kind of, uh, Daniel and Jack and their relationship and, you know, kind of breathing and the author bringing that back around to where they want. And here where I was, I, I was expecting at least a declaration of love just from fanfic experience because mm-hmm. the, the author had been playing around with kind of like the, the romantic subtext of their relationship enough through the fanfic that I was just expecting yeah. it to become text. And it doesn't, which is yeah. a little surprising. Yeah, I mean... I'm I'm a Jack Daniel shipper, so if I had written the story, that definitely would have happened at the end. But I like how sort of throughout the story, you know, at one point Daniel mentions that like SG six thinks they're dating, and Jack's mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, half the base thinks we're dating, half the base thinks you're dating Fraser, half the base thinks I'm dating Sam. Some people think it's me and you and Tilkin, some sort of weird threesome. So people are gonna think what they want to think. <laughs> I love that part because it was sort of like as if the rest of the base was the fandom, right? <laughs> you know? It, yeah. It was so funny because all of the pairings, they well, some of them are a little more ridiculous, but if you think about how close the members of SG-1 are, you really could pair any of them with any of the other. Like, they're close friends. It could work. Um, and there's, always, there's moments you could seize on between any of the characters. And this, of course, seized on the episode that had the most Jack Daniel relationship stuff to deal with and they did a really good job and I really thought it was going to be romantic too it's not clear if it is if they just like there's it's nothing not, there's no kiss not there's romantic the author even it's states romantic. it's her comfort yeah, yeah yeah it is but like they don't say they just say it's like reinforces their friendship that's how it's phrased right yeah and so I don't think you have to read it as romantic but uh, I mean I don't know, maybe you, uh, it's not, I think you, well, there's a way well, you could read it as not romantic, is what I'm trying to say. It could be say, a friendship, but it's but, a very romantic friendship. Okay, like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they have a lot of sweet scenes after this. Um, Daniel dealing with PTSD with Jack has gone through, and Jack even revealing things. You know, they go to the supermarket, Daniel starts crying, he says, oh, you know, he's embarrassed about it. He's like, I'm just crying, standing in front of the cheese or something, or in front of the juice, 
And Jack's like, oh, yeah, no, I've I've cried. Usually my preferred section was the dog food section, though. Yeah. You know, I, it was just hilarious. And Daniel's surprised. like, you cry? Like, not just cry, but cried in a supermarket? It's like, yeah. yeah. And as the I reader, I was sort of like, yeah, I can't imagine him crying either, really. <laughs> but I do like how Jack treats everything that Daniel's going through is very matter of fact. Like, yes, this is just how it is. Like, he's not downplaying it. He's not overplaying it. It's just, this is what is going to happen. I've been through this. It is what it is. And we'll get through it and it'll be fine. But it's not, he's not trying to, you know, be like, oh, you'll be fine. Not like coddling him in any way. Just keeping it very real and grounded in his own experiences to help Daniel with his experience that he's going through now. Yeah, I I remember that scene in the supermarket where, you know, Jack thinks he sees one of his captors, one of the people who tortured him. Uh, sorry, sorry, Daniel does. And Jack is like, yeah, that's going to happen. It's probably going to last a few months. Your brain was just working really hard, learning a whole lot of danger signals. And, like, it's got those in it, and it's going to, like, you know, give you some false positives here. And, yeah, you're right. It's very matter-of-fact, which seems to fit well with the character of Jack. And also just... I don't know, it, it makes me muse about how there's so many fanfic authors that are very concerned with like the mental health of their characters in ways that other fiction really usually isn't. Um, and it's kind of always interesting to see just like, are the characters okay? Like how practically speaking are they going to come out of this in like a very functional sort of way, like mental health care sort of way a lot of times. Yeah, I wrote down that line that Jack says, your brain has learned a new set of danger signals and will keep flashing them for a while just to stay on the safe side. And I was like, that is a really good description <laughs> of what it's like to have trauma, you know, to have PTSD. Like, and it's amazingly, it's it's well within how Jack would describe something, right? Not super technical, but something he understands. I thought, I was like, I'm going to use this to explain PTSD to other people like this makes so much sense it's something that people don't think about especially at the time you know neurology wise they were like people the general public wasn't thinking about these conditions this way and i think it's really smart but then that brings us more or less to the end of the fanfic it i i guess the the relationship resolution here is not like this the start of an explicit romance or anything sexual it's just kind of bringing them back around from the damage that was done to their friendship in Shades of Grey, right? Like, that's yeah. kind of the, the circle that's being made here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like that she resolves it with the resetting of the chessboard to how it was before Shades of Grey. Because you see in that episode, Jack starts sort of playing by himself. So apparently they just have an ongoing chess game, I guess we're supposed to sort of go with as a thing that happens. And they were probably in the middle of a game and then they quote unquote broke up. So Jack just had to finish the game himself. And when he goes and gets it to play with Daniel at the end, he resets it to how it was before their breakup, if you will. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, everything back to how things were and how they should have always been. Yeah. The author paid so much attention to every detail of that episode and brought it back in. And it's really satisfying, like, especially having just rewatched the episode. It's really satisfying to see all of those pieces come together. Um, and it's so strongly rooted in that visual thing. 
And you even have the connection between uh, the game, the Senate box that Teal gives to um, to Daniel, like the idea of the game being a bonding experience, like we talked about. So really, in the <laughs> there's even a detail about how like Daniel doesn't like beer. There's a repeated line. Um, he says something, the same thing he said in the episode when he shows up at his house. He's like, "You got another one of those?" It's referring to the beer. Jack's sort of like, "Yeah." And he's like, Daniel's like, feel like sharing. They say the same line towards the end of this, but it's less like distancing and more about affection. So really wrapped it around. I liked it. Very satisfying ending for sure. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you two want to go back to before we start to wrap this up? Anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to? Oh, um, the fact that Makepeace always referred to Tilk as the Jaffa, like he never oh. uses Tilk's name ever, which I believe is in keeping with canon, like what he does in the show. But I was just like, that's mm. one of those just like those little touches that you're like, you you know the canon very well to do that. I liked. It seemed like there were a lot of callbacks to other previous episodes too, just like specific references to things that had occurred. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know in a lot of shows, the fanfic authors will often call back to previous events way more than the show writers do. Because, oh, yeah. you know, the, the show writers can't, can't assume that you have internalized, like, every little thing that's happened to these characters. Whereas the fanfic authors can, can assume that more of their readers. Yeah. I was a little confused, though. So, what, like, before they actually get the okay to, like go and search for Daniels, a guy from the Pentagon comes to sort of liaise between the SUC and the Pentagon. I was like, why wasn't that Major Davis? Because he was there at this time. It should have been Major Davis. But maybe that's just me because mm. I, I, I love Colin Cunningham and Major Davis a lot. <laughs> so I was like, why aren't you Paul? You should be Paul, but you're not. But that's okay. You were in like one scene, so I guess it's not a big deal. But it would have been another one of those little sort of canon touches that would be like, Paul's job was to liaise between the SUC and the Pentagon. So I don't know. Could have, should have. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually sort of surprising. Maybe the author just forgot, but I would actually surprise the author would forget because they don't seem to forget much. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just, you know, it didn't like ruin the story that it wasn't, but it's just kind of like, why aren't you Major Davis? I don't know. But yeah. Well, I think that does bring us organically-ish to our final thoughts about the fanfic. And we'll start with things that you want to complain about or that you think could have been done better in the story. For me, I don't think there's much. I think we touched on them already. Just sort of at the end, mm. those little sort of transitions that weren't completely clear between scenes. You know, the how did they get to the basement? What is that thing that Trevlin's holding? Um, other than that, I, I thought it was really well done in general. I was going to complain about that, too, and Tori touched on another one, too. Tori, you were saying, I'm not sure if this happened in a flashback or not, and that's because there's this really awkward flashback transition early on when, I mean, it's not, it's hardly there at all. It's, like, with Daniel. I think it's, like, the first time you get into Daniel's point of view, and there's a paragraph of him, and, you know, it should be clearer. I don't want to say it should be, I don't know how I got into this situation, but my mind flashed back to... I mean, it's that kind of a scene, except it's not clear enough that that's happening, so I was thrown there, too. And yeah. there aren't that many awkward transitions in the story, but the fact that there's more than one definitely does kind of make it stand out in my mind. But I, I guess 
you just chose that one, Carrie. So <laughs> other, <laughs> other than that, um, I think it started off a little bit too in the characters' heads, and I understand why it did, because I know in a show like this, you never spend you never spend this much time in the characters' heads with them talking about actually what's happening from their perspective. And so you kind of do have to. I feel like I feel it's like the author has to give their take on the relationship from the characters' perspectives, just to make sure you're on the same page about it, like exactly where you know, in this case, Jack and Daniel are towards each other and exactly how the Shades of Grey episode affected them, just because maybe another reader's interpretation might not be quite the same. But I, I just thought it made the fanfic get off to a sluggish start. When the rest of it is pretty well-paced and, you know, has a lot of forward momentum. And I just feel like it, it, it could have been a little bit punchier there at the very beginning. I don't know if you've had the same experience as someone who actually understands the characters as me, who like who was coming into this blind. I mean, I do wonder if it would have been interesting if we started with because um, after Jack goes in and sort of the action starts, it sort of comes back with Jack like holding a bowl in the middle of the living room while the sort of tech team is doing their techie thing to figure out like what happened. If maybe it had started there, and some of the feeling stuff was inserted like after that, so we sort of almost start like sort of in situ rather mm -hmm. than building into the thing, just start there. And then the feelings and thoughts are almost a flashback kind of, of how this situation happened. I don't know if that would have improved anything, but it's a possibility. They could even have been spread out into a couple of parts. I mean, if you were able to break them into more discrete thoughts, like they didn't have to be kind of an emotion info dump. Um, True. And, mm -hmm. and I don't want to exaggerate. It's not that bad. Like, no. it's not... It, the, the segment I'm talking about doesn't take that long. Uh, but it was just my thoughts as a reader. Yeah. Like, in general, this is a well-written fanfic. I do think it does, like, I mentioned before, I basically mentioned most of my criticism, but, like, it does sort of feel long sometimes, like, with the amount of words spent on past reflection and in the moment of Daniel's capture where he's trying to figure things out, I feel like maybe it could have been, I don't know, what I want to say, like, pared down a bit for flow. But in general, I enjoyed reading most of it. And honestly, if I was going to pick a criticism, I'm going to pick a really nitpicky one, um, which is twice, does Jack say that... I have, the, I have a quote, and this is the second time he mentions this idea, which is he says, Logic, you see, women can't resist it. They don't like it, but they just have to suck it up because suddenly you're speaking their language and they just have to respond. And I was like, I don't see Jack being misogynistic in that way. Yeah. I, like, it's, it's not like unlike a thing he might say, but I don't think he would be misogynistic. It's also weird because our cultural conception is actually that like women are irrational, right? And men are illogical. So it almost comes out of left field. Like it's not very well explained misogyny. And I'm just yeah. sort of like, what? <laughs> like <laughs> it just didn't make any sense to me. And also like, I know that Jack's like the, you know, this character, this kind of bro-y guy from the late nineties, but I still have never witnessed him in the show say anything the show is usually pretty good about not having generalizations about gender. So to be really nitpicky and because it came up twice and because that line is so weird, I was just like, what, 
Like, I know they're trying to make it like a Jack character moment, but I still don't think he would be that way. So there we go. Also, it didn't make sense. End of story. <laughs> Nick. It sounds fair to me, Tori. And it's I like mean, logic. Like, hello, logic is uh, a universal language, I would I would hope. <laughs> it's always a compliment to the author, in any case, when we're down to the level of, I object to this line in the story. Mm-hmm. Because it means no, that I we, know. Didn't have, we didn't have any major complaints. It's like, the only reason I'm nitpicking on it is because I hate misogyny. But, like, honestly, all of Jack's other dialogue is, like, to a T, awesome. So, and that's impressive. Because he's like a, 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 you know, he's a very unique character. If we want to get nitpicky, I'm pretty sure this author is not American because mm. they use the word lift for elevators. Ah. Um, and then at one point they also, I think it's when Jack is talking to Makepeace, he goes, you, I know you never got on with Daniel, which is like, that's like a mm, British yeah. mm-hmm. phrase for like to, for not getting along. Oh yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> just like those, just those two little things. And it's just like, oh, you're not American. Okay. And then you just move on with the story, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes more sense to me. Well, because I noted that line too, never got on, and I was like, they wouldn't say that. They're not British. I never <laughs> thought that the author was probably not. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, if we're down to that level of nitpick, we can probably move on to things that we want to praise about the story. Uh, or whatever we found, you know. Uh, sometimes we're repeating things we already play- praised earlier, but you could say your favorite thing, or just something we want to repraise. Again, I think it's just the details, like Daniel being barefoot and how he keeps complaining about how I can walk, but they just won't let him walk. Just, it gets repeated over and over again. And um, yeah, like the thing with the scarab beetle and just all those little details that make a story feel so much more alive and real. I think this author did very well. Yeah, and I think in the context of characterization, they, they were very effective too. Because like I said, I've never seen any Stargate. And so at the start of the story, I was like, which one's Jack and which one's Daniel? And by the end of the story, I've got a really good feel for both mm-hmm. characters. Because the author's been coming at them. I mean, okay, Jack... I mean, to some extent, I'm seeing them mostly in this one specific, extremely dramatic context. But I mean, even then, the author finds so many ways to illustrate their character in these contexts. Uh, I felt like from so many different directions, they felt very rounded after this one story in my mind. Or maybe I should say, like, clear. Yeah. 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 Everybody is very much in character in this story. Oh, good. So not only did the author give me very clear images of the characters, but they were accurate images of the characters, apparently. Yes. Which I wouldn't be able to speak to. Yeah. That's great. I thought it was really well done in that context, like in that way. I think it was. I mean... And just, like I mentioned, the descriptions of, you know, that Jack gives a PTSD, I just, I, I got to shout out to that again, because I just loved it. And there's so many good lines. Like, um, I wrote down a couple of them when uh, Daniel's having his PTSD moment in the, you know, his flashback in the grocery store. He says, like, you know, he gets stressed out, and he says, suddenly, like, the music in the grocery store aisle starts, uh starts to sound tinny with a malevolent undertone and the aisles start stretching up to the sky. And I was like, that feels really real. Like when I'm having a panic attack, like, yeah, that, that sounds right. Except it's like, it's an extra layer of description. 
because it puts you in the moment with the idea of the malevolent undertone and makes you feel the panic of like being trapped by these aisles that are stretching away from you. Um, and also when he's discharged, um, Dr. Frazier gives Jack from the, you know, the hospital or the medical facility, uh, the doctor gives Jack uh, an enormous brown paper bag of prescription medicine and a handwritten instructions for his care and feeding as though he was some exotic new pet Jack had been rash enough to buy. <laughs> that was and I just thought it was so funny. That was great. Yeah. And then he's been rash enough, every, you know. And then he just chucks yeah. everything out the window. He's like, you want cookies? Have cookies. You want beer? Have a beer. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then just gets the instruction booklet and then completely disregards it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was also my favorite part of the fanfic is just like the time that Jack's taking care of Daniel. Cause like, you don't get a lot of that in the show and it's sweet. And they're both so funny together. Like, you really just want them to kiss at the end. Maybe that's my other complaint. They don't kiss at the end. I know. They should. Felt yeah. unfulfilling, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I usually don't have a horse in most pairing races. And, like, you know, I'm not specifically a Slash fan. But, like, honestly, reading this story, it, it, felt, like, it felt like there needed to be a more dramatic, like culmination of this story i i was a little bit thrown like i've said that that it was kind of as laid back an ending as it was i yeah at least a kiss even if they don't like you know change their facebook status or something yeah jack yeah. and Dare, jack and daniel are very easy to just sort of accidentally start shipping <laughs> like a friend of mine made a fan video and like she it was before I knew her and I like unloaded on her once I knew she had made this thing. I was like, oh, my God, you've made my favorite Jack Daniel video ever. She's like, that's not a Jack Daniel video. I was like, are you sure? Because <laughs> it's real shippy. Like even the song she picked, I was like, really? And she went back and looked. She's like, oh, maybe I didn't mean it. But it is because that's just how they are. <laughs> yeah. In terms of good lines, Tori, I, I, I'm remembering back in the Daniel torture, where at one point they're, you know, like, okay, now if you don't cooperate, we're going to permanently maim you and cut off one of your fingers, because you do not need that to translate. And Daniel has this internal line where he's like, I want and need all my fingers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of good little lines. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the show has a lot of good dialogue, too, so I, and it's, it's in a similar vein, so they all did a really good job keeping the tone of the dialogue, especially. Well, I don't think I can object to this fanfic being the best Stargate and best Daniel story of 2001. That at least was looked at in the 2001 Stargate SG-1 Awards. Not that I have any way of knowing. I just mean, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Feels pretty good. Yeah. I'd yeah. recommend it. Yes. Um, and I guess that brings us to the end of our discussion of the story itself. Thanks so much carrie for coming on you're welcome thanks again for having me this was a lot of fun i'm always really happy to have on guests who are members of fandoms that i just have no connection to because you know just like today if if we have an expert on and if tori is familiar with it then i can get away with being a total ignoramus <laughs> about the topic more or less <laughs> um well I almost feel like I'm a new SG-1 fan because, like I said, I didn't remember a lot until I started re-watching it for this purpose. So it was actually kind of great to have someone else's insight who's, like, really into the show. It, like, makes me want to watch it even more. 
Well, speaking of rewatching Stargate SG-1, and maybe wanting to learn more about the series, Carrie, could you tell us a little bit about your internet projects at the moment? Uh, yeah, I have a podcast with my friend Rachel called Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast, where, uh, so Stargate dropped on Netflix uh, late last year, so I was like, I should rewatch that. And then I thought, maybe I should do a podcast about it. And some of my friends were like, yes, you should do a podcast about it. So I do a <laughs> podcast about it, where it's basically just every week we go through an episode, talk about it, pick it apart, and then tell you how much we loved it in spite of all the flaws that we managed to uncover. <laughs> and I usually occasionally will get into sort of the real life references and bring in like fun facts and things to give people more context for what is happening in the episodes. And it seems like you haven't reached season three yet, right? So you're actually before Shades of Grey. Yeah, yeah we're like uh, first half of season two still as of the recording of this podcast. So, but we're getting there. We'll get there soon enough. That's great. And do you have any other internet presence that you want to plug or for us to point to? Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr as switch842. I'm one of those boring people who has the same internet handle everywhere on the internet. So if you find somebody who's switch842, it's probably me because I'm very unoriginal like that. But I guess it also makes things easy because you know it's me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd much prefer that than someone having to say, oh, I'm this on this and this on this and this on this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've had that handle since like, well, basically since The Matrix came out. So, you know, 99, 2000, something like that. So, <laughs> yeah. That's commitment. I've yeah. definitely changed my internet presence many times since 1999. <laughs> <laughs> not me. So almost as old as Stargate, but not quite. Not quite, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then I guess we are going to close out this episode this was episode 120 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> That's a lot. Oh, yeah. Thank the big you. 120, that anniversary <laughs> that is extremely significant and everybody waits for. <laughs> I mean, yeah, once we pass 100, it just, you know, all seems kind of abstract. But we anyway. should do something for 150, I think, but we're not there yet. <laughs> I've got to figure out what's going to be our 100th episode and, well... It'll be the 100th episode of Stargate. It'll be our 100th episode, too, which that's easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that that's was, true. That was a very specific and fun episode, their 100th, so. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, th that makes it easy for you. For, for yeah. us, for, like, 150, I'm going to have to, like, I'll find a 150-year-old fanfic or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure it exists I'm not somewhere. Sure. Well, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure what exactly. I, does Sherlock Holmes date back that far? I'll look not, into it. Well, close. It's quite that old. Um, yeah, it's close. But anyway, this episode 120 was Ripples by ELG. You can find it archived on bunnyfic.com on the Wayback Machine copy thereof, and we'll provide a link to that in our show notes. Uh, the intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Dom Davis, who did not get to talk about her experience with Stargate, unfortunately, this time. Uh, she would have been probably a much more knowledgeable guest than I was today. But that's okay. Uh, just counting on her for editing anyway.
You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at Retrofanfic, Facebook at Retrofanfic. We've got uh, email, if, if you use email still, at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. A few other places on the internet, too. And we also have a Discord channel, which I will put the link to in the show notes as well. Or you could leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever. Those would be greatly appreciated. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Carrie. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. I don't know enough about Stargate to make a joke there. Yeah, that well, good. I mean, I mean that's yeah, the fun. Earth life forms thing. Well, they call them Tori. You could, well, what? like Tauri. Yeah, sorry, not Tori. That's me. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. close. I know. I was thinking that when I was watching it. They call it. We used to say we were three towery, but yeah, we already did it. We always do a three Earth life forms, and it's more. It's more appropriate now. <laughs> so.